Lasting Love Podcast, presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast. And boy, I got a treat for you today. I have a guest. His name is Scott Killaby. And I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but I am so excited to put him before you today. Because Scott is one of the most powerful spiritual and emotional teachers in the world today. He has been a mentor of mine for quite a few years. I've trained directly with him. And the thing that I really love about Scott is that he practices what he preaches. You're going to hear he has quite a story of drug addiction and his own trying to understand himself and his life. And from that, he has developed what's called the Killaby Inquiries. And what we're going to discuss, what you're going to hear, is something that is so relevant to our lives. And that is something called what he describes as the core story of deficiency. What he maintains, and I find it true in my life, and I think you will too, is that at the core, we have stories about ourselves, about how we're deficient, how we're lacking, we're not good enough, we are vulnerable, we are unloved, unwanted, undesirable. It's these deep core stories that drive our lives. They are the cause of our addictions. They are the cause of so much drama in our love lives because as you're going to hear, we seek a partner who will fix those core stories or counteract them or disprove them. And no human being is really able to get at those core stories and unwind them and change them. But Scott has developed some inquiries and we're going to expose you to them. And in the show notes, you will be able to find how to contact him, his websites, he's written books. He has clinics in California, like physical building clinics that he does mindful approaches to drug addiction and other addiction. This is a very special dude. And then the last thing I'll say about him is that he's the real deal. Okay, there are a lot of spiritual teachers that, you know, if you pay attention to this sort of thing, they've been exposed. There's lots of frauds out there. Even Jesus said that there will be lots of false teachers in your midst. And that is certainly true in the consciousness community. There's lots of people that are misusing information, they don't practice what they preach, they don't live it in their own lives, they don't come authentically to problems, and Scott is not one of those. Scott is the real deal. And so now, um, sit back and enjoy a conversation 
with spiritual teacher Scott Kellaby. Okay, Scott, welcome to the program. I'm glad you could take the time to be here with me. Thanks, Roy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm imagining that quite a few of my listeners don't know much about you. And I introduced you before this segment and so forth. But why don't you just take some time to tell people a little bit about your history, how you came to inquiries, what you're doing now, and so forth. Sure. Um, I think my my path was never to have a spiritual path. But what happened is like a 20-year drug addiction, which led to um, trying to find the answer to that. That was really what brought me into the spiritual self-help thing is to try to deal with the addiction but what eventually I found was the non-dual message or the presence-based practices, which were the most helpful for me. Um, and that became really my way of my, my spiritual path. You know, I, I started to listen to non-dual teachers and read the books, and it resonated with me and a little bit about inquiry. So what happened was is I picked up these practices of present moment awareness, mindfulness, and inquiry and had some very big spiritual experiences and shifts that really shifted me into living here in the now with, without identifying in the same way with my mind. So less clutter of the mind, uh, more, much more peace from that realization. It was so uh, life-changing, Roy, that eventually it took me out of my career as an attorney. And I started to slowly, as, pe- as I started to share this message, that this freedom that I'm referring to is available, people started coming to me. Slowly, I started to find that what I wanted to do was to help people who were suffering like I had been. Slowly, what got built was a following of people who were resonating with my teaching. And then we started to develop different sets of inquiries. And so, as you know, the Living Inquiries was our first incarnation of that. Mm -hmm. And it sort of gave birth to the second incarnation, which is the Killaby Inquiries. So what we do now is we have... Uh, quite a few certified facilitators that work one-on-one in group with people. It's like a mindfulness-based, somatic-based inquiry. It's really hard to describe. You know, you can do it and get a sense of what it is, but to describe it is, unless you're familiar with this world, uh, it won't quite capture what we do to describe it. Yeah. Well, I I think one of the ways the the listener is going to kind of get at it is when we get into the nuts and bolts um, of what I want to, really talk with you about and the expertise that I think you can bring to people. So let me frame the context like this. Um, Michael Singler is one of my, one of my favorite guys to listen to. I used to live in Orlando and he had a place in Gainesville and I'd go sit with him a couple times a month mm-hmm. and did that for like a couple of years. And, and he used to say, you know, that he would say to you, you know, hello, are you in there? And he'd kind of wave like, do you exist? And you go, yeah, I'm in here. And then he would say, <laughs> How you doing in there? Right. <laughs> and, and then, and he would be, he would challenge people to be honest enough that if they, if they kind of felt into what it's like to be them, mm-hmm. that they would recognize a lot of times they're upset about something or yeah. anxious or bored or lonely or they feel insecure. So Extract. he would say, yeah. you know, you, you're in there. How you doing in there? Well, you're not. You're not doing. You're, you're not okay in there, right? Yeah. And he and he would point to these to these feelings of whether it's boredom or anxiety or, or depressed or insecure. And the more I started thinking about that, 
there's almost like a deeper kind of not okay under those things, mm-hmm. which is something that a, a phrase that you coined, as far as I know, I never heard anybody use it before you, a core story of deficiency. Mm-hmm. So I could feel undesirable or I could be insecure, but what might be under that is a deeper story of I'm not good enough right? or I'm not wanted or I'm unworthy, right? And right. What Michael pointed to and what I've seen in my work is that a lot of a lot of people a lot of the trouble we get into in relationships and seeking a partner is because we have some sense of that story of deficiency or some mm-hmm. sense of that not okay feeling. And we think that if we find the right partner, that it's gonna heal that or fix that or yeah. dissolve that, right? And it doesn't take very long to find out that that's not true, but right. It's still rampant. I still really see that, okay, we don't feel okay in here. And the mind says, well, what you need is the right career or you need Mm -hmm. the fame or you need something. But one of our favorites is I need the right partner to deal with that core story. So talk a little bit about what you know from a personal standpoint and from your work. What is this core story? Why... Why is it, I think it's central to everything we do. I think our whole life revolves around trying to deal with that, whether we know it or not. Right. But yeah, so just kind of riff with me about, about the core story of deficiency and what you've learned about it. Well, what I, one thing I've learned about it is that it's just part of human nature. We don't have to vilify it. Like it must've had a, a purpose. And I think about, you know, generations ago when humans were first on the earth like there probably needed to be some sense of lack or deficiency just to motivate people to go out and get berries or to procreate or Mm -hmm. find food or sex or whatever but apparently that that feeling about oneself that is helpful for like basic survival doesn't kind of like have a shutoff valve and it's sort of we become um that becomes our identity at the very core level that I, I am lacking. I'm deficient. Like you say, I'm not good enough. We actually believe that. And so that's where it goes beyond just surviving and into suffering for people. And that feeling goes along with the feeling of separation. I don't know if your listeners listen to that kind of talk much, but just the feeling of being separate, mm-hmm. separate individuals. There's also a feeling for most people of deficiency or lack that goes with that. So it's not just that I'm separate from everybody else, but there's something wrong with me. I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. And then, as you say, we go looking to the world and to other people to complete me. Like, you know, I heard that you complete me. Well, what we, I think what we find out is that's, like you say, that's not what happens. But relationship does become a way for us, if we're aware and conscious, to see what we're believing and what this, the story of deficiency and as well as all our traumas. Like, relationships can be a catalyst for waking up and experiencing freedom and even a deeper love. But I think at some point you kind of have to explore beyond this feeling of deficiency and see that's not really what you are, you know, and then love from a different place, a place that doesn't feel that. And that's really the thing I'd like to talk about is what does love look like at some point in the end? What does it look like when people aren't coming from that place as much, you know, and that's an interesting topic too. But I think the majority of people like me and the majority of my relationships, like you say, is that I thought, well, in my case, being gay was a he, but he or she is going to complete me. And that's the belief going into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's chase that a little bit. Like what, what do you find is different when we sort of let go of this idea that 
I'm lacking and missing something. And if I find the right partner, that fixes it. What what does love look like? I think we could use to be inspired as to yeah. what we're what it can be. Yes. Um so for me, the, so my story was always I'm unlovable. That was my deficiency story. So I did most of my work around that. And when that stopped appearing for me, like those thoughts and feelings just really stopped arising. What I found is, is that in relationship, I, would, I had been so focused on getting love and getting something where when that deficiency story, because that comes from the deficiency, right? Like I, you've got to give me what I don't have. Right. But then after that story sort of dissolves away, it became more about now I can just love. I can give love. And it became more about that instead of monitoring people to see whether they give me what I need. Because mm-hmm. in those days when I was monitoring, I always felt it was, they always came up short. It's mm-hmm. like you're, still, you know, you're not giving me what I need. You're not giving me enough of what I need. So I say love without that would be more unconditional. I don't know if we can ever get to true unconditional, but more unconditional less needy, less possessive, less controlling, less mm-hmm. attached in a very sticky way. Um, open can still be like a, still be monogamous for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Open to explore, vulnerable, maybe a little more vulnerable. Vulnerability mm-hmm. can show up. Um, and authenticity where, you know, it's a funny word, but like when you're, hmm, when you show up as who you are in a relationship and you're, you're, you're honest, you're open, you're not pretending to be something that you're not, you're doing some sort of practice that keeps that alive for you. Um, there's less triggers. That's one thing I noticed. Like there just aren't as many, cause so many of the triggers come from this feeling of being deficient. So that's nice just to have a relationship with less triggers, first of all. But here's the other thing. The triggers can actually help us. As you know, they help us go deeper. <laughs> right. Well, it's just like having pain in your knee. The the pain is a sign that something's wrong and needs to be addressed. So when you get triggered, yeah, yeah you can you can view it as somebody else did something wrong, or it can be a sign that hmm, I need some work. I have to do some work here. Well, well, why is this? Why am I taking it so personal? Yeah. So forth. Yeah. 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 So what are some of the most common? Stories of deficiency. I think your one you point to being unlovable is one, and not being yeah. good enough. What are some of the things that over the years you've seen people define themselves as? Yeah. So I'm a victim. I'm a black sheep. I'm an outcast. I'm inadequate, invalid, unacknowledged, unsupported, unheard, um, unsafe. Um, a feeling that you have to hide. Some mm. people say that my, like I have to hide. I don't know where that comes from. It comes from fear or un- feeling of being unsafe, um, feeling empty, not in the good way that Buddhists talk about, but empty, <laughs> like barren, like, you know, um, weak, powerless. Uh, those are the main ones, but it mm. can really be anything. I mean, someone could come I, like one lady came to me and she, hers was, I'm disgusting. And that's, mm. those are the words that summed it up. So I think it's really unique to each person, but those are the ones, those are the kind of the greatest hits right there that yeah. I just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I view these things and I know this from my own personal experience, these, these core stories of deficiency, they're a little bit like the wizard of Oz who was behind the curtain and you couldn't see him, yeah. but he was turning the knobs and pulling the lever. He was controlling everything. Yeah. And I think the more we get in touch with some of these these deeper stories that we're lacking or missing something, we begin to recognize my whole life is built around trying to deal with that. 
to either disprove it or compensate for it, uh, adjust to it. Um, I heard an illustration once. It's a little bit like if you have a a thorn that's stuck in your arm, right? Hmm. And it's, it's, it's in your arm. And so anytime anything, a piece of clothing or anything touches it, it really sets off a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And so with this thorn, there's like two options. One, you can sort of build a contraption that would go over the thorn and cover it so that nothing could touch it and nothing would you know, trigger it so it would hurt. And you could put your whole life around you. You'd have to sleep in certain positions to where it wouldn't touch. So your whole life would revolve around protecting this soft spot or you could pull it out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Which sounds so obvious, yeah. but, but I, I think a lot of people, including me, we don't really know how to pull it out. Like if I don't feel lovable or if I feel not yeah. good enough, I mean, most of us will either deny it, act as if it's not true or then, or we'll compensate for it and try to become yeah. achievers, you know, certain personality types. I think if the viewers familiar with the Enneagram, I think the Enneagram all the nine personality types are simply compensations for these underlying stories. <laughs> so Definitely. my being a type three and achiever is because I don't feel good enough underneath. Mm-hmm. So I got to yeah. perform, right? So we either compensate for it, we deny it, um, you know, or we, we get into like spiritual affirmations and just try to, I am good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm, you know, we just try to almost convince us that it's not true. But you found a way of inquiry to actually pull the thorn out. Because like yeah. you just said, I don't have those thoughts and feelings about unlovable anymore. They're, right, they're right. gone. It's not like yeah. you've learned to ignore them no. or suppress them in some way. Right. They're not there. <laughs> right. They're so not arising. Talk about what you learned in the removal process of these things and, and yeah. you know, how we can share that with the, with the listener. Well, with the inquiries that we're using now, the way that, and I'll maybe show them to you a little bit, but the way that the inquiry is designed is it becomes really difficult to lie to yourself or to overcompensate in the middle of it because it challenges your mind directly to, to put, to literally show you the story of deficiency so that it's not hiding. And that's how the, the inquiry questions are just designed that way. So, um, so just like you said, that was really well said. We overcompensate or we repress, don't deal with, and that brings me up to another point, which I think is important to the extent that your audience may be becoming aware. We're, we're all becoming more trauma informed. And these deficiency stories are kind of like trauma responses. Yes. Right. And so when you, you said it best or you said it really well, when like we can in trauma language, we would say we either learn to regulate that nervous system that's out of whack. And, you know, some of us do it with drugs and alcohol. Some of it do with more natural, healthier things like breathing or nervous system regulation techniques, but that's one choice. And many of us have to learn how to do that just to survive, especially mm-hmm. if we have a lot of trauma. But what you're talking about here is a, like deconstruction or deprogramming it, which is very different than just regulating your nervous system. So these inquiries, what we've done, we've designed them in a way that first they will bring up the unconscious repressed thoughts so that you can't hide from them anymore. And you can't, and then, but then once they're up, the way that the inquiry is designed is if you keep observing through them, allowing each one of those thoughts, then what happens over time is that, again, they stop appearing or they slow down first. They get quieter first, and then eventually they'll stop appearing. And I'll, maybe we'll get to show your listeners a, 
what I mean by that with yeah. the demo later. Yeah. So you develop like a formal process that you can do with a facilitator to yeah. look at these things. It's not just a philosophy. It's a, a process yeah. of a step-by-step way of, of looking at that. Yeah. Yes. It's fact, yeah. we don't have a lot of philosophy. As you know, we don't try to get people to believe we don't try like if they, someone says, I'm not good enough. We don't try to get them to believe that they're great because to us, that would be an overcompensation. You know, it'd right. be like just kind of putting something over something, but here we're interested in, in deconstructing it. Yeah. Seeing that it's yeah. not us. Like it's just something that we learned along the way, you know, when, from our parents or whatever, and it's not really what we are. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So seeing that there, that whatever thoughts and feelings that are obviously there that you don't have to run from, they're not, yeah, they're not, they're not who we are. There's something we're looking at. They're maybe no different than I look out the window and I see a satellite dish on somebody's house. I, I see something that doesn't mean it means something about me or that my life should somehow be affected by that. Yes. Right, Is that on the right, right track? That's the right track. And, um, see, I was going to say something else along those lines. I think I may have just forgotten it, but maybe I'll come back to it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's just witnessing something and, and rather than identifying with it, because the well, stories are, yeah. I am undesirable or I am unlovable. That's right. Here's what I was going to say is that we started doing this work about, you know, as you said, like 15 years ago, what we're finding now from the science is that when we do repress these things, because you mentioned like one way of dealing with it is just suppress, repress, don't deal with. Now we're learning from science that that can actually contribute to mental health and physical health issues. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the reasons why we're so enthusiastic about bringing this work to the world, because it's almost like the opposite of repression. So it's like bringing things into consciousness, but not just some things, like everything that you're believing as much as you can into consciousness. And so I think one of the benefits of that is less repression, which if science is correct, would mean some sort of uh, some breakthroughs in the area of some of these physical conditions and these mental health issues if repression is really. So that's another thing, too, that I like you hear me talking about a lot because we didn't know that 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that emotional repression was playing into these things as much as we know now. And so thankfully we have a modality that does help with that repression. And you mentioned how, you know, and it's just natural. It's like if, if we were fully conscious of all the deficiency story all the time, it would be overwhelming, Mm -hmm. you know, but what it does is it shows us these triggers every now and then, but a lot of it will go and kind of hide or not be fully conscious. It's running the show, as you say, it's running our life, but we're not fully conscious of it. And I think that's the really value of the work is make that conscious because it's running your life. Make it conscious and then let it dissolve so that you can experience a deeper freedom than that story would ever give you. Another thing about that story, and I say it all the time, so because people will listen to this sometime and they'll say, yeah, okay, that's there. But how does that really affect me? I mean, one of the things you can hear, if you understand this, you would be interested in looking at deficiency stories, which is that they sabotage. They're, they have mm-hmm. a self-sabotaging nature to them. And I experienced that when I would get into relationships in my 20s before I did this work. It's like I would find somebody that I thought I was going to connect with. But because my story was I'm unlovable, on some level, I'm sabotaging. the rela- And I did it over and over again, sabotaging the relationship because – a successful relationship where I feel loved would destroy 
the identity. Right. It wouldn't fit so, in with who you think you are. Yeah. So you so. have to find someone who ultimately won't love you. So it confirms, you know, it's like, you see, I am unlovable. Yeah. That person just proved it to me. <laughs> yes. But it's, but it's so unconscious. Like we don't say that, like okay. I want to go on a date with you. So you we don't say that, but <laughs> so you right. cannot love me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. But I think that's an important point that, that we create these cycles of pain that further solidify this separate self of being unlovable or undesirable. And it sort of proves it to us and we can believe it deeper, mm-hmm. but the only way to step out of it, yeah, is to bring it into consciousness and really look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything that you can say about, because I, because I would like to do a little, a little demonstration, but is there something you can talk about in terms of what happens in an inquiry type yeah. of session, you know, like what are the types of questions you ask someone? And then maybe we can, you know, yeah. give a little short cliff notes version of what it would be like. Good. So the thing is, is we like to, we, 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 I think we understand now at this stage of the game that everybody comes, even though we kind of all have the same structure of suffering, you know, we believe stuff and it makes us feel things and we don't want to feel all that. We have different content and we have different issues so the questions that I, or the inquiries that I might use are really going to be uh, determined by who I'm, who's showing up with me. Mm. So if someone shows up with a lot of chronic pain, for example, we might be looking at anger repression because, you know, emotional repression contribute to that. But if someone comes in and they say, well, I don't really have chronic pain, but I believe I'm not good enough, then the questions are going to be directed to that deficiency story. If somebody presents with a trauma that's unresolved, like, when I was eight years old, I was sexually abused or something. Then we're going to formulate the questions related to that. So that's the good thing about it is we're not just speaking in general theoretical yeah. terms. It's not like a across the board cookie cutter approach. It's literally right. meeting them where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's do a little five or 10 minute thing. And so yeah. I'll be a client coming to you and my story will be, and it's, it's, it has been my story. So it's not, difficult to tell it is feeling well at the core for me, there's a not good enough thing. But when we talk about relationships, it comes out more as I feel like I'm not desired. I'm undesirable Mm -hmm. that women don't want me. I can remember, you know, in high school, you know, being attracted to some of the prettiest girls and then just feeling like I was either, you know, they just didn't even notice me. Certainly I wasn't desired. So I can trace this, and and I think this is a very, I think it's a good one to work on here. I think it's pretty common for single people to feel like mm-hmm. I'm not desirable, either I'm not yeah. good looking enough, or I'm not whatever enough, and I'm not getting asked out, and right. people aren't they're they're ghosting me or gaslighting yeah. me, and so I just I can interpret that as I'm just undesirable. If I was desirable, these things would never happen to me, kind of thing. Yeah. So okay, so I'm. I'm putty in your hands, Scott. I, yeah. I just feel undesirable to women. Yeah. So I would also add that many people in relationships have the same story and they'll actually, they'll turn it on their spouse and they'll interpret things that their spouse is doing like I'm undesirable because it, it infiltrates a relationship sometimes too. Yeah. 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 Um, you wouldn't treat me that way or you wouldn't live with me that way if, if, if I, I was desirable. Right, yeah. Right. 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 Okay. So one of the things, let's just sort of, um, before I, start with the inquiry let's just do a little bit of breathing just to calm the central nervous system and and get to that state where you're, you're aware of being aware of being present more mm. so if you could just breathe in through your nose 
watching the breath come all the way down into your stomach diaphragm, let it inflate. And then at the end of that inhalation, take a very brief pause, a few seconds. And then exhale out of the mouth, watching the breath leave. And then you're going to exhale at the end. Oh, excuse me, you're going to pause at the end of the exhalation. A few of those. Yes. And so watching the breath in this way, because the breath is empty, the mind gets quieter as you're watching, usually. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you kind of recognize there's, there's an awareness here, aware of the breath, just very directly aware of it. Just staying with the breath a little bit longer. Now you can take your focus off of the breath and just rest as awareness, which means rest as whatever is here witnessing. It's aware of thoughts, feelings, sensations. So if thoughts arise, we call them words and pictures. You're just noticing them and noticing them they're allowed to be as they are. Same with sensations, anything, really. Just resting first. Yes. Now, so what we do in this work is we like to be looking at someone or something before we inquire because these triggers happen in the context of relationship. So could you put up Roy, your wife, and other women, maybe from the past or attractive women like there's a, we call it a panorama, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Just a panorama of those women who represent this story that you're undesirable. It's amazing just... But how long has it been since I've thought of a woman? Her name is, I won't give her last name, is Kim. It was in seventh grade. She was like the little hottie that just never even noticed I was existing. And I had a crush on her, right? So <laughs> I haven't thought about her in decades. Oh, still there. So that's good. Yeah. We're, we're doing some real yeah. work here. This is not just for show. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Right. Well, and since you mentioned Kim and that being an early experience, you know, where it might have first created itself, why don't we just focus on Kim for a second Mm -hmm. and just let her image be there in your awareness by itself for a moment, just letting, just seeing her, her beauty or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we, at this point, we reverse what you believe. So if the belief operating here is that I'm undesirable, a simple reversal while you're looking at her would be I'm desirable. So you say that and let me know the first thing that comes up. In response. Okay, so when I say I'm desirable, the first thing that comes up is not to her. There you go. So whatever does come up, we just allow that, allow those words. So not to her. You either see them, you know how it works, see them spelled out somewhere or hear them. Mm-hmm. But you just want to rest and observe and allow just those words to be there um, for as long as they need to be. If possible, literally watching them fall away into nothing. It's like you're meditating. Yeah, they do feel like just words now. Yeah. They don't feel as uh, powerful. Right. So, yeah, at some point, then the words, 
don't feel as true or as powerful and they look like words, but I encourage people just to continue resting and allowing. You're not pushing them away. You're just giving them the space and then quite often they just will fall away naturally. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then repetition is a, is a big thing because these, there's layers of this, as we know. And they don't always show, the first layer is, is what it is, but it doesn't always show the other memories and stories that are packed underneath it. So you come back to looking at Kim from awareness and you say, again, I'm desirable. Yeah, I'm saying in my head, I'm desirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had a little image flash in my head, like a, a picture of um, being looked through and, and not at. Like I'm mm-hmm. standing there, but they don't mm-hmm. see me. There she doesn't go. see me. Yes. In the, so, hall, the hallway of my high school, of my junior high or something like that picture. Yes. So pictures are also thoughts. So allow the image of the picture just to be there. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is that sometimes these images are sticky, not just because they're connected to some feeling that might be obvious or sensation, but, but also because there are stories that are not conscious connected to it. So as you look at that image, what does that image mean about you? You may have already said it, actually. Now that, that I don't matter is just what popped up. Right. So you can see that in our consciousness, if the image, if the memory of her is connected to I don't matter, you can see why and how this deficiency story continues. So to deconstruct it so that it doesn't continue in the same way, pull those words out, I don't matter, and let them be by themselves without connecting them to the image of her. Mm. Yeah, I'm imagining writing them on a chalkboard, just separate. Yeah, just let them be. Okay, yeah. For those listening, what that means is you're witnessing, you're observing the thought, or hearing it, and doing nothing else, just resting and allowing. That's what he's doing right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've taken them... Before it was like a caption on that picture, and now I feel like it's just, it's just separate words, mm-hmm. not associated yeah. with that. There you go. Just continue to allow those words to be. Yeah. I, I did find some value through the years in coaching people to truly allow a thought to resolve itself because for some reason it has a positive effect on the body as you go deeper in this inquiry to really let every thought be by itself and dissolve uh, it tends to help dissolve some of the emotions and stuff but we're not in that we're not deep enough in that for you to see it but that's why i do that yeah and but since we're just showing you a little piece of this what i would normally do roy is i would repetitiously come back to the same inquiry with you if you were doing a real session until when you said I'm desirable as you're looking at Kim, either it's like a yes or a neutral, like Mm -hmm. the story that's connected to her just is not there. 
Mm-hmm. So we would keep doing that. But I want to show you something else that we do so you can see the depth of the work is that sometimes we have to reword an inquiry to truly bring up the mind's objection, like it hides from us. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at her and, and you don't say this as a positive affirmation, that's another thing for your listeners. I'm going to have you say, I'm the most desirable man in the world as you're looking at her. Now, remember, it's not a positive affirmation. You're not trying to believe that. You're using that phrase to conjure up the thoughts that disagree with it. That's the deficiency story. So there's a lot of talk, but... Okay, yeah, so you say the opposite in order to bring up your own objections to it. That's right. And Ah, and when you you reword it in such a way, it feels... It's almost like the ego has to come up and say no with some force. So when you're looking at her, say, I'm the most desirable man in the world. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm the most desirable man in the world. Yeah, I felt my breath kind of catch in my chest like I couldn't breathe for a second there. Yeah. See um, how that taps into something deeper. See what I mean? Yeah. 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 Yeah, body. Any thoughts depth, coming up? Body sensation. Um, a, kind of a big hell no. Like, a, um, where's the evidence of that? It's, it's almost like a, like a lawyer kind of in a courtroom mm. arguing there's no evidence of that, right? Yeah. Just a, like a, yeah, an arguing and a hell no and a, a difficulty breathing. There you go. So allow the hell no. If that's what's appearing in thought, whatever the thought is, allow it, observe it one thought at a time. It sounds like hell no is, is one of those. Mm-hmm. Just let it almost, I tell people, let the thought be true but now just quietly allow it. You don't have to think about the thought. There mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Anything else coming up after that, or is it just quiet? It's pretty quiet. I'm kind of scanning my body. My breath feels open now, and there's no other... No other pictures or sounds coming up. So let's come back to that as you look at her. I'm the most desirable man in the world. Yeah, I feel a giggle coming up in me. Um, And the story I have is that means it feels lighter to me, a little less serious. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there still some objection, though? Yeah, right now in this moment, it feels pretty neutral, like none of it matters. Um, yeah. It's like, whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. It's lost its, there's, yeah, the hell, the, the energy of the hell no seems to have dropped away a little bit. And it's just like, yeah, it just doesn't matter. It's just whatever. So what what I would do is I would coach people to do the inquiry on their own for a while. Cause even if it's lighter today, maybe tomorrow would show you mm-hmm. more. Um, but the other thing I would do if we were doing a full session is I'd have you interface with other people, um, other women, your wife, maybe even mom and or dad, because we often learn these, like I don't matter or, right. uh, 
I don't know about desirable, but something like that could happen with mom and dad. So in a full session, I, if, if Kim started to feel clear, like there wasn't anything there, we would move to other women or to mom and dad to see to the extent to which that story got connected to those people and just take you through everything. Um, that's where it goes deeper is when we don't hide, we don't, we don't hide from anything. We're just going. Yeah. And as you, it's, as you bring up different faces and different things, then you're looking at each individual body sensation or sound or picture or thought that comes up and witnessing it and sort of, do you still talk about how these things get Velcroed all together into the story? We do. But again, what I think I've learned in the last six years is that the deeper somatic or body work happens through witnessing unconscious thoughts thoroughly. I, I, when I had, I haven't talked about this yet, but I had very intense chronic pain for three years. And of course I had a desire not to be in pain like anybody Mm -hmm. would. And I thought, you know, being in the body more would be helpful, but it wasn't actually, I had to go look at the unconscious thoughts like you're doing and that actually shifted the body. So yes, emotions and sensations are definitely connected to thoughts and they're part of the work, but I've just found out recently that strangely the body gets clear by witnessing the unconscious thought streams. That's how the pain went away from me. It's a, quite a, a mystery, but yes, like at some point we might bring you down into your body. Let's say you've got a tightness in your stomach, but you aren't getting any words out like on an inquiry. It's like your mind is quiet because it's repression. Like we repress these things. So if you come up with just a sensation in the end, we might feel into that sensation and do a little bit of inquiry to tweak out the emotions and thoughts that are repressed in that area to help that contraction dissolve because people are body where you know then that you've got certain areas of your body. Like when you're triggered, your, your heart feels closed or tight sure, or, sure. you know, and those are the areas we, we want to work on. But what I'm saying is strangely, they get clear by being skillful in looking at the unconscious stories in the mind. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So, um, yeah, okay, good. I think we've given people a little picture of working on these deeper stories and, you know, how to witness them and perhaps see them unravel a little bit rather than compensating for them and so forth. So that's great. So Scott, you, you work with people one-on-one like this, right? So what, you know, I'm going to link to your, you know, to your website and to your email address in the show notes, but talk, tell, tell people a little bit about what you're available to do with them. Well, so I am available. I'm also pretty booked up for about two months, and I've trained facilitators in this work. And I work with a group of of our certified facilitators, a handful of them that have been training all of the insights that we're developing to the cutting edge of this work. They get trained in them. Mm -hmm. So if people contact me but I'm not available and they don't want to wait, we can refer them to these other facilitators. If you want to work with me, you just have to wait. If you signed up now, you wouldn't be able to see me until August. But yeah, we, we, this is the kind of work we do on a daily basis with people. Great. Uh, and I'm excited you're so busy because, um, yeah. yeah, these inquiries, um, yeah, they were, they were life-changing for me um, yeah. a number of years ago. They frankly scared me a little bit. Like we used to, to look in, look, look, look for the reality of like you, like mm-hmm. look for that separate self, that, that person I call Roy, who seems to um, be separate from the world and so forth. And I remember 
pulling apart the thoughts and the words and the pictures and the sensations that all combined into this thing that I think I am and seeing that it was empty and, and was like frightening to, yeah. to kind of face the, the emptiness of, of who I thought I was. <laughs> it was a little right. scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it can be, but as people, it's a non-dual realization, but as you approach that and you settle into presence, it actually isn't presence itself isn't scary, but the mind yeah. says that yeah. before the presence is experienced, it's trying to keep you from experiencing because it, it wants to stay, so to speak, it wants to stay. Yeah. The yeah. The, the structure of who I've like, I, I think we spend our lives creating this person that we show the world, this, kind of a structure and then you look into it and see that it's kind of empty and well who who am i without this story of myself and so forth so yeah so i've always appreciated your work your work especially with i think addiction is changing the world the mindful approach to dealing with addictions whether they're chemical or non-chemical is Mm -hmm. right you still have your your center for addiction out in california right that's right. If anybody is interested in alternative to 12 steps and mindfulness space, you can go to killabycenter.com, K-I-L-L-B-Y center.com. We have two treatment centers. You can, yeah. you can learn about them there. And if you're interested in this work, just go to killaby.com. If you want to do some online work with us, you can find us there at killaby.com. Killabycenter.com. Mm-hmm. That's for the treatment centers. Yep. And then killaby.com just for you, your work, and the, the inquiries. That's great. Cool. Yep. Scott, love it. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, I'm glad you're feeling better and the pain has unwound itself a bit. So, um, man, all the best to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Roy. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.